It may be difficult for our modern minds to comprehend. But an English Franciscan friar and theologian from the 1300s has provided us with a tool to combat the current program of deception and demoralization prosecuted against the American people and the world by the Chinese Communist Party. You're listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. And today we're going to be talking about the recent findings, the results from the WHO's team of scientists and their Chinese counterparts. They came out on February 5th and released their findings to the world uh, in partnership with their Chinese counterparts. They're uh, supposedly 17 scientists on each side conducted weeks and weeks, four weeks of research into where did the coronavirus come from? And today we're going to be addressing (laughs) this release. Uh, The date today is February 14th, 2021. Happy Valentine's Day to those of you listening. And uh, this is episode number 81 of the Currency Podcast. Uh, Before we get into this, make sure to do yourself a favor and do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on any platform where fine quality podcasts are provided, Apple, Google, Spotify, and a host of others. Uh, Make sure to subscribe. And if you can, leave a review. Tell your friends and family. Help this podcast grow. I would be indebted to you for that. Now, we're talking about this release. And I mentioned in the open that we have a tool available to us provided by an English Franciscan friar from the 1300s. And we're going to get into that in just a minute, but let's talk about what happened. If you look, the Wall Street Journal has a story uh, dated February 5th, and essentially the World Health Organization just concluded uh, its four-week investigation. Now, it should be noted, four weeks of investigating sounds pretty impressive, especially in-country. They got into China, into Wuhan, and they spent four weeks there. But please note that two of those four weeks had to be spent in uh, isolation. They had to get there and quarantine themselves for two weeks to make sure that they were not bringing COVID back into Wuhan. Uh, imagine the irony of that. The scientists bringing Wuhan flu back to Wuhan. <laughs> now, you can read the article uh, by the Wall Street Journal. I'll link to it in the uh, into the website description. If you want to look that up, just go to mikegaston.com. That's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com forward slash the currency 081. There'll be a link to that Wall Street article there. But let me short list it for you. Here's what they found. Number one, they found that the COVID-19 virus, SARS-CoV-2, Uh, most likely originated in some animal and then jumped to humans, probably, they noted, outside of China. This did not happen within China. They're saying that it most likely originated in an animal and jumped to humans somewhere outside of China. That's the first thing that they found, strangely. Uh, Number two, they say that it's highly unlikely that this virus originated in that level four biolab that is doing gain-of-function research on coronavirus. And we'll get back to that in just a second, but let that sink in. It's, it's highly unlikely that the SARS virus, that COVID-19 originated at the local level, meaning in 
that level four biolab in Wuhan, China, that is busy doing gain of function research on coronaviruses. And lastly, they also have decided that it's possible that the original virus was brought into China on packages of food, of frozen food. And they're thinking maybe American pork could be, you know, Brazilian uh, uh, beef, uh, could be from Russia, Saudi Arabia, we don't know. But China has says it's detected viruses on uh, frozen American pork, frozen Brazilian beef, uh, frozen Saudi Arabian shrimp on Russian squid, all these frozen foods, they've detected the virus on those packages coming into China. So they're saying it's possible. They're not saying they're not confirming, but they're saying it's really possible that the virus came into China from one of these other dirty, filthy countries. Now let's talk about this, these three things, that, that it's most likely that it originated from an animal and jumped to humans, probably somewhere outside of China. Secondly, that it's unlikely that it came out of this Wuhan lab. And lastly, it's pretty possible uh, that it came into China on some frozen food somewhere. And what they're talking about now is they're saying we need to shift our attention away from China and away from Wuhan and start looking at supply chains. It could be the real problem here are the supply chains, especially those supply chains um, outside of China. Now, I want to focus on this second point here. The second point being that it's unlikely that the virus originated in this level four biolab. Well, what, first of all, what is a level four biolab? What does that mean? I mean, you get these different levels. You can look this stuff up online, but these levels are, are official designations. And I'll just read through them real quick here and describe each one very quickly to you. So a level one biolab, it's the lowest of the four. The biosafety level one applies to laboratory settings uh, in which personal work, and I'm reading this from Consolidated Sterilizer Systems. If you Google this, this is one of the top links that comes up, and it's just a sterilizer system company that is sharing with you what these various levels are. They make equipment that would go into these various levels. Uh, so a level one applies to laboratory settings in which personal work with low-risk microbes that pose little to no threat of infection and healthy adults. An example of a microbe that is typically worked at at a level one lab is a non-pathogenic strain of E. coli. So this is just a laboratory that's doing a little bit of research. There's no risk to a healthy, uh, no risk of, uh, of infection to a healthy adult. That's a level one. Level two, this biosafety level covers laboratories that work with agents associated with human diseases. Uh, in other words, pathogenic or infectious organisms that pose a moderate health hazard. Examples of agents typically worked with in a level two lab would include equine encephalitis viruses and HIV, as well as streptococcus. That would be a staph infection. Uh, they... they these laboratories maintain the same standard of microbial practices level ones, but also include enhanced measures due to the potential risk of the aforementioned microbes. People working in these labs are expected to take even greater care to prevent injuries such as cuts or other breaches of the skin. So these are the kinds of things where we know how to control them. And you just have to be careful not to poke yourself, to cut yourself, etc., because you could then expose yourself to staph infections, HIV, or so on. 
Okay, level three, again, building upon the two prior biosafety levels, a level, level three lab typically includes work on microbes that are either indigenous or exotic and can cause serious or, potential, or potentially lethal disease through inhalation, the breathing it in. So this isn't just about, well, you cut your hand and now you're bleeding and you could get HIV. This is like, if you breathe the air, you could get it. That's a level three. Examples of microbes worked within a level three includes yellow fever, West Nile virus, and the bacteria that causes tuberculosis. The microbes are so serious that the work is often strictly controlled and registered with the appropriate government agencies. Laboratory personnel are also under medical surveillance and could receive immunizations from microbes they work with. That's a level three, kids. We're getting serious here. We're getting serious here. Level four labs are rare. This is now from the website that I'm reading. However, some do exist in a small number of places in the U.S. and around the world. At the highest level of biological safety, a level four lab consists of work with highly dangerous and exotic microbes. Infection caused by these types of microbes are frequently fatal and come without treatment or vaccines. Two examples of such microbes include Ebola, and Marburg viruses. In addition to the BSL level three considerations, level four laboratories have the following containment requirements. Personnel are required to change clothing before entering, shower upon exiting, decontamination of all materials before exiting. Personnel must wear appropriate personal protective equipment as well as full body air supplied positive pressure suit. And they go on and on. BSL-4 laboratory is extremely isolated, often located in separate building or an isolated or restricted zone in the building. The laboratory also features dedicated supply and exhaust air as well as vacuum lines and decontamination systems, etc. So if a level 3 is so dangerous that these things can be inhalated, they can be breathed in, you can imagine a level 4. Level 4 is the highest level of, of danger, highest level of danger. And at the same time, they're telling us in this report that they've come out with that it's highly unlikely that this COVID-19 virus originated in the local level four biolab in Wuhan. Now, there's an, there's an important part to that. You can go, okay, well, they're just, they're saying it's not possible, but this is what they're doing. They're doing gain of function research on coronaviruses at that lab. Mike, what's gain-of-function research? Gain-of-function research means they are taking an organism, in this case, a coronavirus, and they're adding functions to it. What does that mean? They're experimenting with it. To, so they're splicing in attributes. They're not just taking something in the wild. They're taking something, they're making it exotic. It could already be exotic, but they're making it, it's kind of a man-made gain-of-function research, they're adding capabilities to that virus to ex examine and explore and experiment what happens. What happens when we supercharge its ability to spread? What happens when we supercharge its resistance to certain medicines? What happens when we supercharge its ability to resist sunlight, heat, cold, etc.? I'm not saying that's exactly what they're doing. I'm just saying they're doing that kind of experimentation on something that is so dangerous that you could just breathe it in and you could die from it. That's what a level four biolab 
does. And that's what they're doing specifically at this Wuhan lab. They're doing gain-of-function research on a coronavirus. And yet they're telling us that it's highly unlikely that it comes from there. Now, they did a four-week in-country, in-Wuhan research project. Two of those weeks were spent in isolation. They were quarantined. So they had two weeks. And essentially, if you read the Wall Street Journal article, they spent a handful of hours, quote-unquote, several hours at that local lab. And they came out of that saying, we feel confident after several hours of research at the lab, which was essentially a tour of the lab, that they're fine. Now, you do a little, you go several, well, Mike, several hours. Come on, buddy. They spent several hours there. Let's look at some quantity terminology. We use phrases like some, few, couple, several, many. If you go to a law school blog like I did and you do a little bit of research, well, what does some mean? What does few mean? What does several mean? What does many mean? Now, we all know that a couple means two. Typically, well, I got a couple apples. We know that means two. What, is, what, is, what are many apples? What are several apples? What are few apples? Law school blog definition, by definition, several means three or more, but often less than many, which we will cover next. If you go to many, many is a large number. Uh, in the case of a nine-party, uh, nine-person party, many might mean five, six, or seven, or eight. So it's, it's a relative term, right? So several, several partygoers of a group of nine were intoxicated. Several could correctly be translated as three or four. If five partygoers were intoxicated, that would usually be stated as most. However, if several partygoers out of 100 people were intoxicated, that wouldn't be three or four, but, slight, but a slightly higher number. So again, this term is challenging to interrupt, interpret rather, under time pressure because its meaning can change depending on the size of the group. So if they spent one day touring the facility... And they're saying they spent several hours there. How many hours could they have spent? Four, five, six, seven, eight. And it was a tour. They spent more time, actually, according to this Wall Street Journal article and some of the other things I've looked at, they spent more time at a museum in Wuhan that they've set up chronicling this whole coronavirus thing. They've got a coronavirus museum already in Wuhan. How many of you that know that your kind of political propaganda from the Soviet era and the Maoist era, they put this kind of stuff together for propaganda purposes. They're, they're, they're retelling the story the way they want to tell it. That's what this museum is all about. It's like Governor Cuomo writing a book on leadership through the coronavirus uh, you know, uh, pandemic with well, the pandemic still going. It's a little fresh, isn't it? It's a little new to be writing a book. It's a little new to be having a museum. There's only one reason for writing a book in the midst of something, talking about how great you did in the midst of it while it's still going on. And that's to recast the story along narrative lines that you want. And it's the same thing here with the Communist Party of China. This museum that these researchers spent more time at than they did at the actual lab is a propaganda experience. This museum is for propaganda purposes only. And so we've got this report published by, you know, provided by, you know, this media event 
this pseudo event provided by the WHO and their Chinese counterparts telling us that, no, uh, it is most likely that this thing originated in an animal and jumped to humans, probably somewhere outside of China, that it's highly unlikely that this thing came out of this level four biolab that's doing gain of function research on coronaviruses. That's just a strange, really weird coincidence. So don't even look there. And it's more likely, it's even, you know, it's possible that this thing came in on frozen food into China from somewhere else. That's what they're telling us. That's what the WHO, the World Health Organization, that everybody has just been embracing is this bastion of truth. My God, we're all going to die. What does the WHO tell us we should do? Dr. Ted Rose, Ted Ross, whatever his name is, please tell us, lead us forward. This is a joke, people. If you believe this, you're the joke. You're the punchline. If you believe this, you are the joke. There's an old saying that if you're playing poker, you're in a room playing poker, you know, or, or you're in the midst of a con, there's some kind of con going, you look around the room, and you're not sure who the sucker is. If you're playing a game of poker and you don't know at the table who the sucker is, folks, you're the sucker. And you look at this thing, this is a game. There's no way you can tell me that this is true with a straight face. How can anyone look at us with a straight face and tell us this and, and think that we'll believe it? But here's the problem. We're believing it. Now, at the opening of the show, I mentioned this yet-to-be-named uh, English Franciscan monk from the 1300s. Well, friends, this is the part of the show where he becomes... <laughs> A known quantity. I'm referring to William of Ockham. William of Ockham was an English Franciscan friar. He was a scholastic philosopher. He was a theologian. A scholastic philosopher essentially means that he was given to uh, reason and logic. The, the scholastic studied the, the, the ancient Greeks, the classics uh, like Aristotle and so on. The Catholics were very interested in how do we apply uh, Platonic and Aristotelian thinking, the Greek scholastics to theology and uh, doctrine and so on. And, and uh, William uh, of Ockham, born in 1287, died in 1347, uh, provided us with something that we refer to as Ockham's razor. You've heard of Ockham's razor. I've mentioned it before in the show. It's, uh, it's a problem-solving principle. Another word, another way it's known is the law of parsimony. But essentially, the, what William Ockham said is, quote, entities should not be multiplied without necessity. But the more simple kind of explanation, uh, or the more simple way to understand is, understand is that the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Ockham's razor states that the, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And this tool, this thinking tool that William of Ockham provided us back in the early 1300s, I think applies so appropriately to what we're being told right now. We're being told that this virus came from some animal and jumped to humans. We're not sure how, but they're, they're, they're pretty certain it happened in the wet market somehow. They don't know how, but they're thinking maybe that somehow it got put on uh, frozen foods like pork from America or shrimp from Saudi Arabia or beef from Brazil and shipped into China. And that somehow 
Some virus on some frozen food packaging got into China somehow and then into Wuhan. And then eventually into this wet market. And then exploded somehow in Wuhan to such a degree that it wiped out the region. There would just been, I mean, they, they totally underreported their deaths. I mean, they had like 80,000 deaths reported and all of a sudden it just stopped. And by the way, Wuhan, not at some port. Wuhan, pretty much in the center of the country. You have to travel quite a few miles from the sea to get to Wuhan. So somehow we're told that American pork or Brazilian beef, a Russian squid or whatever, octopus, frozen. It's got somehow this bizarre coronavirus on it that no one's ever seen before. Gets into China to the port, gets all the way into Wuhan. Doesn't, doesn't wipe out America, doesn't wipe out Brazil or Russia, doesn't wipe out most of China on its way to Wuhan, but somehow gets into Wuhan and then explodes. And then from there gets spread to the rest of the world. How does that work? We're told that that's what we should be believing. And that going forward, we need to be really looking not at China, ladies and gentlemen, but at the supply chains from countries like Brazil and America and Russia going into China. This is where the world needs to focus. We need to stop looking at China and focus our attention on these other countries and their supply chains. What is that all about? And yet William, William of Ockham said that often the most simplest explanation is the right one. And I go back to this. I talked about this in last week's episode. But if I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at a level four biolab, the highest designation of danger for a biolab. They're rare. They're, they, hardly any of them exist anywhere. And in many cases, they don't exist because the work that they're doing has been deemed illegal by the various host nations. The reason that there's a level four biolab in Wuhan is because China runs reckless. They've got no morals. They have no ethics. There's no transcendent. There's no truth. This is the epitome of materialist dialectic at play. All that matters is materialism, nothing else. There is no right or wrong. There is just winning. So they'll do the level four biolab. They'll steal your intellectual property. They'll, they'll do genetic testing. China will do all kinds of horrendous things that Westerners would just, you know, Western scientists probably often wish they could do, but they know they can't get away with it. China, no problem. So China's got this level four biolab doing gain of function research on coronaviruses and they'll look us in the eye and say, no way, it didn't happen. And the WHO is complicit in this. It's one thing for the Chinese to come out and say this, but for the WHO to play this game, I'm sorry, they have no credibility. Now, a lot of folks on the right have been saying that all along. Big surprise. But if you apply Occam's razor to this, the most simple explanation is most likely the correct one. They've got a level four biolab doing gain of function research on coronaviruses in Wuhan, just steps away from the stupid wet market. Don't tell me that this came from some frozen squid out of Russia or American frozen pork. But you see, this is the disinformation. This is the demoralization of the American society of the West of the world. What do I mean by demoralization? What do I mean by demoralization? 
You know, there's a guy that fled Russia back in the day. Uh, his name is Yuri Brez, or sorry, not Brez. His name is Yuri Bezmenov. And uh, Yuri Bezmenov was making the rounds back in the day. He was kind of a KGB guy. He was really a journalist for the KGB. So he was involved in KGB disinformation. It was his job to write articles. And Bezmenov, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, um, I think in the 70s, was living in India, uh, working for the KGB, and big socialist. I mean, he believed. He was a, he was a party guy. He believed. And he eventually became disenfranchised with what he saw. He believed the, the, the kind of ideological beauty of collectivism. He believed in the Rousseauian idea of the passions of mankind being freed and this beautiful society coming together out of uh, this Marxist Hegelian ideal of collectivism and, and the proletariat and this brotherhood of man across all the world. He believed in all this. But the more and more he observed the way that the party did what they did, the way they Im Im implemented communism, the way they implemented and treated people, the way they broke lives and destroyed people and crushed them, the fruit, the reality of the system, the more he became disenfranchised, disillusioned. He dressed up like a hippie one day while he was living in India, and he escaped. They were looking all over for him. Uh, they're trying to find him. They're distributing photographs of this very square-looking, clean-cut guy. He looked like from the 50s, you know, dark hair, trimmed. He just looked like some guy in slacks and a button-down shirt, hair part on the side, maybe a little bit of brill cream in there. Uh, just a square. And he dressed up like some drug-doped-out hippie, and he walked away. And he ended up in Canada, I think, eventually, and, and also in America. But Brezmenov, uh, Bezmenov, I always put an R in there, Brezmenov, it's Yuri Bezmenov. Bezmenov uh, started talking about this Soviet subversion model, Soviet, Soviet sub, subversion model. And essentially, uh, that Soviet subversion model said that initially they were going to work on demoralizing the West, specifically America. Then they were going to destabilize the society. Then they were going to create crisis. And then they were going to normalize things. This is their way of subverting the West and taking over. And a lot of the demoralization was, it was the destruction of, of the West morals. It was the destruction of truth. The more they could destroy the truth, the more they could put in... Um, uh, immorality, uh, lies, deception, and so on, the, that eventually that would lead to the destabilization of the country. If you could demoralize the population, if you could pull them away from their values, if you could strip them of the things that they believe in, if you can, if you can destroy their institutions, those things that help lift up and anchor the truth in a society, things like marriage, things like the church, things like trust in your government, Things like your education, your entertainment, the arts, your economy. The more they could destroy those things, the more they could warp them and reform them in some bizarre state or fashion. Human sexuality. I'm sorry. I know some people listening to this, they go, I don't have a problem with homosexuality. And all. Look, I don't have a problem with the individuals, the people. But I'm telling you, there's a demoralization when you break down society to such a degree that up is down, left is right, black is white, cold is hot. There is no truth anymore. You've demoralized the people because you, you, they don't know what is true anymore. 
And when you demoralize them, you can destabilize the society because there's nothing that anchors it anymore. You need healthy marriage. You need to be able to look to your government to say, this is a good government. People, human beings desire and deserve good governance. Human beings desire and deserve to be loved, to, to be able to trust, to be able to pursue life in a way that's healthy and good. But when you demoralize a society, when you say anything goes, when you destroy the institutions, you create a completely subjective, relativistic world to live in that's driven solely by animal passions. No more logic, no more reason, no more truth, no more anchoring, mediating institutions. Well, then you've, you've demoralized people, you've created destabilization, and you have crisis. And through that, you can normalize your plan. You can normalize society to socialism, to collectivism to totalitarianism. So Yuri Bezmenov was sharing this idea of the Soviet subversion model. Now he put some time uh, constraints to it. He says, yeah, you know, hey, 15 to 20 years uh, will have demoralized you guys, you know, another six to 12 months to, uh, to destabilize you, you know, three months to, uh, to cause crisis. I mean, he kind of had a timeline. And this was in there, I want to say 1983. I forget exactly. There's some videos out there. It's, it's fascinating stuff. But as a model, I mean, maybe his time frames weren't quite right. Uh, you know, they love their little systems. And it was all predicated on this idea that, you know, capitalism was so immoral that it would eventually just destroy itself. Well, that never happens. This, the, the communists and the socialists kept waiting for capitalism to kill itself. And it never did. It just went on from victory to victory. Free markets actually in, in you know, capitalism... Uh, and liberty, individual liberty, it, it created uh, more and more wealth. It lifted more and more people out of poverty. It eliminated more misery. And the socialists couldn't believe it. They kept thinking, well, wait a minute. And come the 1950s, they were demoralized. <laughs> They're like, well, wait a minute, we're in crisis here. Marx wasn't necessarily 100% right. Something's wrong. You know, this is a whole other route. We're not going to go down that. That's how we end up with postmodernist uh uh, intellectualism, this idea that everything's subjective. It's like, well, if the facts are showing us that our system doesn't work, well, then we just have to say the facts don't matter. The facts aren't real. It's kind of like a kid sticking his fingers in his ears and going, la, 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 la. <laughs> we'll deal with that some other time. But this Chinese effort, this Chinese lie to tell us, you know, to look us in the eye and to say, hey, uh, this thing probably ha had nothing to do with this level four biolab doing gain of function research. This is, a, this is an attempt to demoralize, to, to look us in the eye and to lie. And the problem that I'm having with this isn't that how dare China try that. It's that there are so many institutions, there are so many there are so many organizations, there are so many individuals within our own country that can't wait to pick up that flag and, and fly it. They're pushing this doctrine, they're pushing this narrative to such a degree. Why? Why are we hell-bent on killing ourselves? Why do we want to inure in, in our, our people to accepting and embracing lies over and over and over again? What is it about these people that they want to they want to habituate us to embracing lies as truth. George Orwell wasn't far from the truth, was he, in 1984? Or Animal Farm. They just, they just kept saying, four legs are good, two legs are bad. And they just kept saying it over and over again. And the sheep just kept repeating it. Four legs are good, two legs are bad. Four legs are good, two legs 
are bad. And they brainwash them so much that eventually they are able to say, four legs are good and two legs, they're better. And when did they say that? They said that when the pigs want to get up on two legs and act like humans. The very people that they demonized, the very, the very race that they wanted to eliminate to get their own freedom, they wanted in their heart of hearts to become. China's not after the truth. The WHO is not after the truth. And you listen, if any, any news outlet, any individual, any institution, any organization that's going to push this narrative, they're not out for the truth either. The average person knows in their heart of hearts that this is BS. There's no way that you can have a level four biolab doing gain-of-function research on coronavirus and then right next door somehow it had nothing to do with this outbreak of one of the most deadly, supposedly, viruses that we've seen in modern times. This whole thing is a lie. Coronavirus is a real thing. Don't get me wrong. I, I know there's a real virus out there, although some people are like, well, we've never seen it. Prove it to us. Hey, I don't care what you call it. It's either a really, really rugged flu. It's the coronavirus, whatever it is. People are dying from some pneumatic respiratory illness. And I'm 100% convinced it's virus related. It, you know, it's not 5G gamma rays. It's not uh, a global hallucination Okay, it's not in the water. There's something. It's a really wicked flu. It's coronavirus 19, whatever. I'm not I, like, I, I really don't give a shit about trying to get at that. That's just, that's just a distraction. The fact of the matter is people are dying, but they're looking at us and they are demoralizing us by telling us a lie. And we're just nodding our heads. William of Ockham was right. The most simple explanation is most often the right one. We have to fight back. We cannot allow them to, to do this to us. And if you look around, there is a demoralization. We're demoralized. We don't know what the truth is. We can't agree on it. We don't have a, a collective agreement even on what values are good. We don't even know what the truth is anymore. And we are a society in crisis. Now, the Soviets aren't at the, at the border waiting to take over. But I can tell you the Chinese are. And I can tell you those that are in our government, they're like the Vichy French. It's like we're occupied, strangely, isn't it? It's like we're occupied. We just never saw the tanks come in. We didn't see the, 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 the uh, sky just darkened with aircraft and bombers. We didn't see the armies beach um, from ships. We didn't hear gunfire. But it's like we're occupied. It's like there's a group of people that want to just continue to lie to us, to control us, to make us wear one mask. No, now you got to wear two or three masks. It's insanity. You can only have a society, though, that's willing to, to wear three masks, to queue up, to stay six feet apart, to do all this ridiculous. I, I see little children, little tiny children. We've known from the beginning that children are not susceptible to this. Where They're not. They can, they can have it. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't, they don't get sick. They can have the virus. It doesn't do anything to them. They're not, they're not, they may be positive if you test for it, but it doesn't mean that they are sick from it. I see these little tiny children with masks on. Why? Why are they wearing masks? Do we know, and I think you know this, listener, how important it is for a child's development, for the, the development of their brain, 
and their emotional, healthy well-being. To be able to see human faces, that, I mean, we've seen these studies from a long time that babies need to see faces. They, they get their security. They, they interpret their environment from the faces around them. We are denying these children the mental ability to, to, that, that they're going to need down the road. Add to that now the fact that these little, these little people <laughs> are going to grow up uh, with their face on a digital device, which also wires the human brain in certain ways that it would not be wired if they were engaging more with the natural world around them. So deny these children human faces, deny them human faces, deny them levels of oxygen just with these damn masks, and then stick their little eyeballs onto iPads, iPhones, televisions, monitor screens so they can sit and watch crap on YouTube 24 freaking 7. Folks, we're screwed. We have got to wake up. We are being demoralized, and we are a society that is heading into crisis. You can see it. Now, again, I, I'm not going to stick up for Trump. You know, we just finished the impeachment, you know, the second one he got out of. Why? Because he wasn't guilty of what they said he did. Was he irresponsible? I've said it a hundred times. Yes. Should he be responsible for some of the things that happened? Yes. In the sense that he's the leader. He's the guy in charge. When you're the leader, you got to take the hit. Should he have been impeached? Absolutely not. This was a farce. You listen to these sanctimonious Democrats get up there and act like, oh, they're clutching their pearls. My God, what happened was horrible. They completely ignore the bombing. They pretend like that never happened. They ignore all the things that they've been saying, the shit that they've been talking for years now since Trump has been in office. The horrendous things they've said about Trump, the horrendous things they've said about anyone in his administration, the horrendous things that they've said about Demo or sorry, Republicans, uh, officials, and so on, the horrendous things they've said about just the average guy and gal out there who are right-wing, Republican, conservatives, etc. They've been inciting violence against all these people for years now. They've been rejecting the election results for years now. They've been turning a blind eye to cities burning to the ground for months and months and months now. And yet they've got the cojones to get up there and go, oh my God, we got to, you know, it's, all for, it's, for the, it's for the republic, it's for the democracy, it's for the people. We have to do this. Trump has to go down. You know, I'm telling you, Trump, not a great human being in many ways. There's a lot about Trump that's despicable. I've said this a hundred times. I feel like I have to say it every time. It's just a qualifier because I think a lot of people listening, if you hear me defend Trump or say the Democrats are wrong, you're me, oh, you're just in the bag for Trump. I'm not in the bag for him, but I call it as I see it. And this is the biggest load of crap I've ever seen in my life. We are a society in trouble. We have been demoralized. We've been demoralized. We are destabilized. We're becoming more and more destabilized. And we are in crisis. Why? Because we are a people that are afraid of the truth. We're afraid that the truth will cost us. I want to encourage you today to live the truth regardless of the consequences. Fight for the truth. Believe the truth. Seek out the truth. Live the truth in your life. Speak the truth. Act the truth without fear of consequences. We can win this thing, but we only win it through the truth. We don't necessarily win it through violence. We don't win it through being the snarkiest. We don't win it by being the meanest. 
Those things may be fine given the appropriate environment and appropriate time and appropriate circumstance. But at the end, we have to be people centered on the truth. Guys, I love you all. I thank you for your time. I hope this is useful to you. I hope it's thought provoking. Do me a favor and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on my website and just go. There's the contact form right on the homepage. Heck, while you're there, you can even sign up for my newsletter. Just go to MikeGaston.com. That's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. You can find me on uh, YouTube. Just search for Mike Mike Gaston. I've got a a couple channels. One's a live stream channel. I do some stuff once in a while. I've got a bigger channel where I put out videos on how to live life on your own terms, strategy, thinking, even a little bit of marketing and branding if you're into that kind of thing. But connect with me. Hit me up on LinkedIn. You can hit me up on Twitter. I just love my audience. I'm grateful for you guys. I want you to succeed. I want you the best life possible. And I hope that this is a little thought provoking. Share it with some people you think need to hear it. And I hope to talk to you again next week. Love you all. And I'll catch you soon.